and welcome to Spotty on Shares, where each Monday through to Wednesday, our Chief Spotter and myself, Elio D'Amato, will talk the market day and also answer your questions. As always, we encourage you to go to our website, spotty.com.au, to see which guests are due to appear on the show next, just so that you can ask them questions relevant to their area of expertise. And when you've got that question, text us 0480 079 or you can email us question at spotty.com. So let's bring in today's chief spotter. Um, it's the man who now has a matching face mask to his matching budgie smugglers. It's Ron Shamgar from Tamam Asset Management. G'day, Ron. How are you doing? <laughs> good. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. If you want any uh, fat, more fashion accessory or ideas or the like, just speak to us Melburnians. We've got it all covered, mate. But, look, <laughs> but fortunately, we brought you here for your expertise. You're one of the leading fund managers in Australia. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then more importantly, uh, what you run at uh, Tamam and then um, also how you help investors every single day. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, look, Tamim Asset Management, we're a boutique uh, investment uh, management firm based in Sydney. Uh, we offer uh, Aussie equities, international equities and property and credit funds to um, wholesale and retail investors. Um, I'm the head of Aussie equities, so I manage the two uh, Australian equity funds, mainly the all cap fund and the small cap dividend fund. Uh, I've been doing this for 18 years and um, uh, you know, really sort of focus on that more smaller end of the of the market uh, where I feel I can add value to investors. Yeah, but it's, uh, today that's as uh, fun as dancing with scorpions, of course, uh, given the uh, sell-off that we've had. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Tamim.com.au is where you can go and learn more about the services that Ron provides, as well as the other products uh, and services that they have available at Tamim Asset Management. Uh, currently, as we go to air, the market uh, down 1.9%, um, both the All Lords and the XJO. So really, it's not discriminating today. Let's get into the main market news, though. There wasn't much to start with. Uh, let's start with, well, what's been a tough year, really, for systems diagnostic firm Integrated Research. Uh, they've tried to finish on a positive note, though, telling us that they anticipate a significant improvement in performance for the second half compared to their woeful first half. Um, however, revenue and, of course, profit uh, will come in below what they were last year, uh, which uh, they're expecting around 76.5, I think it was, million in revenue uh, at the midpoint and around 5.6 in regards to profit. Ron, has the bleeding stopped for poor old um, IRI? Uh, of course, diagnostic systems is what they uh, provide. They were affected quite heavily uh, by COVID shutdowns and the like. Um, is this the respite that investors might feel comfortable now that they could take a nibble? Yeah, look, we, we've been sort of watching this one for quite a few years. We've always struggled with the valuation. Um, you know, the software seems to be good and it's sort of, you know, focused on that communication and payments industries. Um, they're actually second half guidance was below uh, consensus. I think uh, $50 million was the consensus estimate and 10 mil of NPAT. So it was below, but maybe not as bad as everyone was expecting. The share price has been going lower in the last few months. Um, I think what they're seeing is that customers are shifting to shorter term contracts. Uh, and because this is one thing that we don't like about this business is the way that they recognize revenue up front, um, but they get paid over time, usually three-year contracts. So it inflates their revenues and profits, but their cash flows never really matched uh, their profits. And so as customers shift to, um, you know, to a, a shorter a con a term contracts, uh, because of this revenue recognition policy, it actually impacts them more. Now, this is a, a really seasonal business. They're, they're heavily skewed to the second half, but also to that June end. And so, you know, it's a bit of a hit and miss every year. Sometimes they sort of 
sales fall in within June and they have a good year and sometimes it sort of falls into July and they kind of miss. Um, you know, it's uh, market cap is, I think, is 330 mil market cap. And, you know, if they can get back to sort of historical net profit of maybe sort of $20 million or thereabout, it's probably cheap. But uh, it feels like there's a few headwinds there. So for, for us, it's at the moment, it's a, it's a hold. Yeah, well, the market certainly liked the vibe of the announcement, Ron. Um, currently up at the moment, 3.7% to $1.97. Uh, let's go to the other end of the tree, the top end. The CBA has sold its general insurance business, Cominsure, to Hollard Group for an undisclosed total amount, but the initial consideration will be $625 million. Um, they've agreed to continue to sell these products within the network as well, but of course, that doesn't really matter because advisors have to select the best product anyway for their clients. Um, it will help lift uh, tier one capital, uh, but they're already well and truly above that. Uh, they're gonna make a $90 million profit on the sale. The price is down though on CBA currently as we go uh, to air, down 4% at the moment, more than the broader market, mainly because investors didn't buy the whole selling assets makes us more diversified shtick. Um, but then again, I suppose Matt Common really wanted to say that build, you know, managing a general insurance product business at the moment is as uh, tough as running a chess game in a childcare centre. Really hard to do. So I think they're glad to get it off their books, if you ask me, but the market might disagree with me there. Um, interesting this one here, Ron, though. Um, normally not an announcement that many people care about other than those counting their dividends, of course, um, and uh, focus on the REIT sector. Company Vicinity Centres, VCX, um, in their distribution statement, I actually found it quite interesting. It's the June one, so end of the period. Um, their distribution is going to be 6.6 .6 cents per unit, which I looked at and raised my eyebrow. I thought, gee, that's pretty juicy. Uh, it comprises 4.1 cents uh, from the business as usual operations and 2.5 uh, cents of that, or 38% of it, comes from uh, one-offs, like a decrease in um, uh, rental waivers, which uh, we were expecting, reduced uh, costs and savings. Um, I don't know how that worked because I actually made that two bullet points when I would have thought they were the same thing. But the thing that caught my eye was the elevated surrender payments, which are basically payments uh, made early to break a lease to exit. And of course, vicinity centres being in the whole retail sector. Now, Ron, Given you manage the uh, Tamam Small Cap All Income Fund, would be very interested to gain your insights into the broader sector with REITs at the moment. You know, what do you make of it? Are you holding any um, within that income fund? Um, if so, do you have any preferred out there at the moment? Because of course, we're at, you know, quite high levels and there are some being, you know, drawn to it. And then we've got the overhang of the whole bond proxy and, you know, well, rising interest rates that are obviously, potentially, could be of a concern. So uh, a lot to unpack there, Ron. What do you, uh, what do you think of the broader sector? Yeah, look, <clears throat> I think generally, um, you know, if you talk about retail, uh, you know, property market, retail trends have been improving. Uh, so we've seen both vicinity and some of the other players like GPT, um, you know, the retail trends have improving. I think visitations have gone up to maybe 80% of pre-COVID levels. I think the issue with vicinity, obviously, they've got that CBD exposures and obviously that Victoria exposure, which, which is still weighing down on them. I think generally um, specialty retail rents are going to rebase going forward. Um, you know, post the pandemic and, and maybe the shift to online. So that will probably impact some of these players. I think net asset values probably have another maybe, you know, 10% uh, further sort of uh, rebasing um, to go down. I, I don't think these properties are worth as much. Um, a lot of these players, as you mentioned, these REITs have, have recovered quite well. 
Um, in the small cap dividend fund, post-COVID sell-off and in the recovery, we did own uh, a few of these, um, you know, some office and commercial properties. Uh, we like the Red Cape one, which is the, the pubs um, and uh, hotels across the eastern seaboard. Uh, they actually own the property and the business. Uh, generally, we don't really like REITs because, you know, you, we, we like to buy businesses that actually have control over the business and they can actually grow the business. And then you you get that sort of multiple re-rate of a higher multiple over a higher earnings base where, the, where the, these REITs are more sort of for, for income-seeking investors. Um, so that's why we like Red Cape. It, it owns the business and the property. Um, I think what you need to look for is sort of the, who are the tenants of these REITs and, you know, whether these are, uh, you know, businesses that, um, you know, are, are resilient and whether they have long-term uh, leases in place and so on. So generally, I think the easy money has sort of uh, been made mm. uh, from the recovery and now it's a bit more sort of picking and choosing the, the best ones. Yeah, backing the uh, manager. And yeah, interesting with Red Cape there, unlike hotel property investments, of course, HPI, whereby they have the property but don't run the venue, but interesting little play there. Thank you, Ron. Uh, Borrell will sell its US building products for some business, that is, uh, for some $2.1 US billion. All of it's going to be tax-free because of accumulated losses. Um, the plus um, is, of course, the fact that the sale price is actually going to be a little bit more than what analysts were expecting. We thought it was all going to be a little bit more. And it also makes seven groups offer a little short, so they're going to have to step up if they're going to want to uh, take a piece of that pie. So there'll be a little bit more to play out with Borrell, I dare suggest. Okay, folks, it's time for us to get into your questions. Remember, of course, even though you're asking the questions, we can't take into account your personal objective situations or needs. And therefore, should you wish to discuss any of this content with anyone other than your significant other in life, you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to have that conversation uh, with you. Uh, past performance is no indicator of future performance. And of course, both Ron and myself hold interest in shares. We try to disclose that um, uh, as we talk about them, but then the cut for us to stop discussion sometimes, we do forget. Uh, but uh, feel free to contact either of us directly uh, and we'll be more than happy to uh, clarify any position that we have. All right then, Ron, I want to go to a sector that I know you know incredibly well, uh, and that's the after aftermarket auto parts sector. The question comes from Will, one of our regular uh, contributors here at Spotty, uh, and he's asking about the company Babcorp, code BAP. Now, I'll spare everyone the narrative, but in essence, he's saying it hasn't had the same run of what ARB um, has had recently. Um, but he does notice that the price has been, you know, bouncing around a little bit and is trying to break through those recent high levels. He would be very interested um, in your view in regards to Babcorp, uh, Ron. And while you're at it, you might as well throw in uh, National Tyres, NTD, and even RPM, who had an interesting announcement this morning um, in the tyre space. So again, there's a multi-pronged uh, question. Uh, looking for a nice, uh, nice answer, please, Ron. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Look, um, this is a sector that we really like. I think uh, playing on that thematic of domestic travel, I think um, we, you know, we're all aware that international borders are going to stay closed for quite a while. And I believe it will stay closed until we have the elections next year in May. It's a bit of a political decision at the moment and, and the rollout of the vaccinations. So I think Australians will continue to, um, you know, to travel domestically, whether it's um, uh, going on holidays, uh, using their cars more often. And then just, uh, you know, because of that fear of, of COVID, even though we don't really have much COVID here, people are using their car more often to commute to work, to pick up the kids and so on. And so I think uh, that sector has really benefited 
Uh, look, Babcor has done really well. Um, it's it's one of the biggest players uh, in this sector. Uh, it's trading on about 10 times EV to EBITDA and about 21 times uh, PE multiple. So I think it's fully priced. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's mature, but it's, it's, it's a big player. So it's harder for it to grow um, like some of the smaller ones that you mentioned. Um, it is trying to expand overseas. You know, obviously, ARB is the sort of uh, best in grid in that sector, has an amazing track record and trades on, you know, on double the multiple, which is quite amazing. Um, the ones that we like are the other ones that you mentioned. So, you know, National Tire and Wheel, uh, they're obviously a, 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 mostly a tire and wheel distributor. They deal in that high-end four-wheel drive, you know, Coopers and uh, Mickey Thompson. And they also bought tires for you, which they're integrated into their business. They're taking a lot of cost out. They had three upgrades this year. So they're trading on about four times EV to EBITDA in a P of seven. Uh, and what we like about um, uh, this one is that I think um, the market, um, so Goodyear has acquired um, one of their biggest suppliers, uh, Coopers in the US. And the market got concerned last year because Goodyear distributes themselves across Australia and they thought that the that uh, National Town will, will will lose that Cooper's contract, but actually, but in matter of fact, they have like a seven year to go on that agreement. So we think the market has overreacted, and management hasn't really communicated well. So that's a good one. And then the other one that you like, as you mentioned, is RPM Group. It's a bit more like Babco. Uh, in fact, the founders and major shareholders of RPM sold their business opposite Lock about five six years ago uh, to uh, Babco, um, and um, they uh, regret it. So they're actually trying to build something bigger now, which we like that sort of financial incentive of the management team. They announced today another acquisition uh, in the tire uh, space. Um, uh, you know, they're targeting sort of the ag sector, mining services. They have repair, uh, mechanical repair shops, and they're trading on about six times EV to EBITDA and maybe 10 times PE on a run rate basis. So they're forecasting 75 mil revenues next year and we think about 7 mil EBITDA. They'll continue to do acquisitions. They'll obviously have to raise money, but we prefer those two rather than Babcor, which seems a bit more fully priced. Yeah, Babcor needs another catalyst, Will, to really break that um, level because, uh, yeah, just at these odds, the uh, risk rewards working against your favour. But thank you very much for that assessment, Ron. Ron, um, I want to go to a stock which had an interesting announcement today, and I know it, you know it, and uh, I've fallen in love with it. In fact, I'll tell you how much I fell in love with it, Ron. When I saw the announcement, I thought it said sensational announcement. Oh, sorry, sensational <laughs> acquisition. Uh, upon closer reading, it was centennial. Now, uh, the stock, of course, is EML payments. Um, the price is sold off today. It's had a bit of a, <clears throat> excuse me, an interesting rocky ride. Um, but uh, Jill asked us on Twitter in regards to your thoughts uh, for this business, because of course they've still got that Irish overhang. I'd be interested in your, uh, you know, reading of the state of play at the moment, Ron. Yeah, look, we, we really like uh, EML payments. We've talked about it heaps in the past. Um, it's probably one of the most volatile ASX 200 sort of $2 billion stocks that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, you know, it had over the last four years, it had three drawdowns of between 50% uh, to 80%, which is quite amazing. But the amazing thing is the business is actually keeps growing every year, profits, revenues, management keeps delivering on what they're saying. And it's almost the market doesn't really have much confidence in them going through some of these issues that just mm. tend to happen over time. Uh, obviously, the latest one is the PFS acquisition, uh, which they made last year in, in Europe and the UK. 
Uh, it's a great business. Um, they had to switch some of the programs out of the UK and into another regulator, which they chose the Irish one because of Brexit. And, um, you know, for whatever reason that we believe after the research that we've done is I think the Irish regulator uh, has just really sort of been, you know, just trying to tighten the regulations. I mean, just generally European regulators have been tightening the, you know, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism uh, regulations on fintechs across the board after we've had, you know, the wire card fraud last yeah. year and those things. So nobody wants the, a blow up on, on their watch and especially not the Irish regulator after their banking crisis uh, 10 years ago. So I think they just kind of uh, panicked uh, because the PFS business with those programs that were moved across to them in the last six months have really grown dramatically. And so they didn't really understand what these programs were. And I think they weren't even aware that EML was a listed company. And so EML had to disclose this letter of concerns, which the market freaked out and wiped out a billion dollars initially. So the market was basically pricing that, um, you know, the entire business of PFS will, will be cancelled uh, in terms of their license. That's not the case. And I think that we'll see in the next few weeks this issue resolved. And worst case that we believe will happen, some programs might have to move to another regulator at the worst possible case. So I think today was also quite good because that centennial acquisition, was, which is a key growth area for them in the open banking market for the next few years, there was some concern that it might not get approved by regulators because of this uh, Central Bank of Ireland issue. But in fact, the UK regulator approved it. And as we understand, the French regulator will do so in the next few weeks as well. So I think that removes another concern. And I think that um, once this CBI um, regulatory issue is resolved, the stock will probably recover back to the sort of 4 to $4.50 mark. And there will be a little bit of a discount uh, in the next six months. And then I think as the business continues to execute, which they have, they've had a really good update recently, uh, I think that the stock will re-rate back to its previous highs. Yeah, it hasn't seemed to, um, you know, dampen the spirits of the banks, uh, these sorts of inquiries. So uh, fingers crossed I'll be able to get over these queries. Um, Tom's not taking my calls in, uh, anymore, Ron, but I'll be very interested. Do you think they knew before the uh, acquisition that uh, this would likely be an, imp uh, an interesting issue? No, no, no. They, they, for, my, for my understanding, they did not know. They received okay. that letter, as they said, on Friday night, and they went to a trading hold and they disclosed everything. They, these guys are super conservative, and the last thing they want is to be sued. So I think all these class action lawsuits that have been mentioned have, have, will come up empty. No, very true. Sorry about that, Ryan. Just had a little bit of an audio issue. So, but I know you can hear me though. So uh, that's yep. what's important. I want to go into um, young Jason. Actually, we'll stick with the same sector, financial services, but uh, definitely on the different end of the, the uh, market cap scale. That he'd love to get uh, your views in regards to Sequoia Financial Group. Uh, the code is SEQ, and of course, the company that the great David Thang represents when he comes on our program. Um, says that there's been a number of guidance increases over recent months. Um, they've got some big targets that they want to reach for the future. He's taken a nibble in uh, recent times uh, and he's starting to feel more confident about the business. Um, that recent update looked okay. There was a bottom line that improved quite a bit. I didn't see too much movement on the top line, but Ron, your views in regards to Sequoia SEQ. Yeah, we actually like this one and uh, we, we, I have to disclose we own it. Um, so they provide financial advisors and, and sort of wealth management firms, you know, all kinds of backing and licensing um, 
services. They also have a, a trading platform to execute and, cl and clear trade. So essentially, they compete with the Pershing and the like, and that's really taking off. Uh, they have a corporate advisory arm. And then they also have a small finance, media, and investor relations division. That's kind of non-core to them. Um, now, what, what I like is they're sort of uh, bringing in or acquiring these other advisory firms. Uh, and then by providing them these all these services on top, they, they make a margin because, as we know, this uh, uh, wealth management industry, it's all, it's all about a scale game. And now Gary Kroll, which took over this business a few years ago when he merged his business into it, is a really good operator, quite conservative uh, they've, I think they've upgraded two or three times already this year. In fact, the top line is growing strongly. Initially, it was 90 mil revenue, and now it's 120 mil revenue, and they've gone from sort of 6 mil EBITDA to 11 mil EBITDA. So uh, really good upgrades, good momentum. They've got an aspirational target, I think, in the next uh, two, three years to get to 200 mil plus revenue and you know 20 plus mil EBITDA. It's, trade, it's 70 mil market cap, so it's maybe a P of 10 times. I think, um, you know, if you're backing Gary Kroll, then I think, and, you know, it looks like they're kind of on track for that target and they'll have to do some acquisitions as well, obviously. Uh, I think it's not bad value and it's one of those sort of under the radar sort of financial services stocks. No one really covers it. So we like it. Okay, there we go. Thank you very much for that, Ron. Um, well, let, let's stay with the same uh, sector, uh, but obviously a, uh, a branch out in, in regards to um, buy now, pay later, early pay, EPY. I know it's in uh, a stock you've had uh, on the radar, as it were there, Ron. What's your uh, current update of view? Jill would like a refresher, if you wouldn't mind, please, Ron. Yeah, sure. So we really like this one. Um, you know, they obviously provide uh, both... Uh, uh, equipment finance and mainly uh, invoice uh, invoice funding for small businesses uh, you know around Australia and um, they've they've really transitioned the business to more of a, of a sort of fintech digital player they bought this um, skipper uh, online uh, invoice financing business which they've integrated into their own business and is enabling them to quickly um, sort of um, onboard smaller customers within one to two days uh, uh, online and then obviously having that uh, capability makes the process cheaper, which means they can actually onboard smaller customers and expand their total addressable market. Um, so that's really good. They're growing really fast. They're currently annualizing about $2.2 billion of invoice finance. Um, they've provided guidance for this year of about 8.5 mil NPAT A. So they're really profitable, unlike some of these other players, and maybe a two, two and a half cents dividend. Now, the key here is that the second half is always weaker because of January and February holiday period for businesses. So if you look at their guidance, it implies $5 million of net profit in the second half. If we annualize that and add some of the skew back to the first half, we're looking at a maybe 10 to 12 mil uh, NPAD base for next year. And then you add the growth. And we think that they're going to do at least $14 million of NPAD A. I think their market cap is about maybe 110 or 15 mil. And um, consensus is much lower. So I think uh, there'll be some upgrades over the next six to 12 months. And I think that they're benefiting from the government pulling back some of those stimulus to, to businesses, uh, the job keepers and so on. So I think with the economy really strong, businesses need working capital solutions and early pay, I think, is going to do really well. So it's one that we like. It's one of our top holdings and it's a great story. 
Okay, thank you very much, uh, Ron and Jill. Thanks you uh, as well for that update. Now, Jason, Kevin, Bernie, Will, look, apologies, we're running out of time, so I won't be able to get through to your questions today. Um, but I'm sure you want to hear this next bit because, of course, it's time for Ron to help us see the light on two stocks. So we're going to sit there and listen attentively to. Then we're going to toddle off and do our own research to see whether these stocks align with our own personal investment objectives and, of course, tolerance to risk to make our own informed decisions. So take it away, Ron. What two stocks would you help, uh, like to help us see the light on today? Yeah, sure. The first one is in the education space. It's one that we're really um, excited about. Uh, we followed it for years, and I think now is the time. Um, so it's Janison Education. They're a software provider for online assessment. They're a global business, and they provide uh, the software to, to school, universities, to conduct uh, tests online. Uh, they also provide sort of high stakes online uh, assessments like NAPLAN in Australia, for example, that they've recently done here. Uh, and, you know, the CPA for child accountants and, and the like. Now, the key here is they recently were awarded, well, I mean, last year they awarded a, an exclusive uh, global distribution rights for, from the OECD to sell the PISA standardized testing uh, across 90 countries. And now, uh, you know, so far, they've signed, I think, 16 or 17 countries here. Now, most countries, um, they appoint a, sort of a national distributor, uh, which pays them about $200,000 per annum, and then they sell onto the schools. But in some countries, like, for example, Australia, the UK, the US, and a few other ones that they'll announce, they're actually going direct to the schools. And now they charge the schools $7,000 a year for that. So the opportunity is, is quite massive here. And, uh, and the penetration is, is growing really fast. I think they've signed like 400 schools in Australia within six to eight weeks. Now, the schools love this because it allows them to sort of measure themselves uh, against other schools and, and sort of target areas that they can improve on. Um, so I think that's really good. Now, this year, revenue will be about $30 million and maybe 10% EBITDA margin, so they're profitable. Uh, they also cashed up. Now, they've got a 2025 aspirational um, target of annual recurring revenue of $100 million. Now they're sitting at about 20, so it's quite aggressive. But if you look at this sort of PISA rollout and the traction they're getting, they think that PISA on its own can get to probably uh, $30 to $40 million of annual recurring revenue um, as part of that 100 mil. And then they've got the other parts of the business. It's a global business. Uh, there's not many competitors that have the same capabilities. So we really like it. I think there's going to be a lot of news flow as they sign other countries and show progress. It's profitable. And we think it's going to double in the next 12 months. And it's a stock that I hold too. And the great thing is, Ron, with, uh, with it is that often they don't do much research. They notice another school or jurisdiction gets it and then they just automatically buy it, even though they uh, necessarily haven't done that in-depth research. So, uh, Jason, I tell well, there you go. I uh, sort of knew that was coming, but anyway. Uh, well, sorry, Ron, what was the other second question you had? Uh, the other stock to watch is, uh, so, Shriro, SHM. Um, <laughs> So they're a distribution business uh, selling third-party brands like uh, Casio calculators, for example, watches and so on. They've been doing that for 30 years in Australia. Now, they also sell their own brands. Uh, they've got the sort of kitchen appliances like Omega um, um, and uh, Everdue barbecues, uh, which they're actually selling uh, sort of globally, and that's really taking off. And now they're a beneficiary of a, of a strong housing market. Uh, with obviously it's a it's a kitchen appliance range and they're building that international distribution business for its barbecue uh, barbecue range sorry 
which is actually meant to turn finally, hopefully, profitable mm. uh, in the next 12 months, which will give it a nice kicker on the earnings line. Now, they're currently on track for about $15 million of uh, net profit. Um, they're, they're, this financial year, there used to be a calendar year, they're switching to a June end year. Um, they've, they've got about $18 million of net cash on their balance sheet, so no debt. Uh, they usually pay about seven cents of fully frank dividends a year. So that's a really attractive yield of about 8%, I think, on the last uh, price. Uh, it's cheap. Now, management indicated that they're looking for acquisitions. And if they can't find something this year, they look to return cash to shareholders. So we think probably a special dividend. So, you know, it's really cheap, good yield. There's a catalyst there, whether they acquire something which will be super accretive as they don't need to raise money or you get some money back. So I think um, it's worth about a dollar fifty. And I think that barbecue business, if it really starts taking off, you could possibly get it like one of those Breville type multiples uh, on it if it really starts growing. So lots of catalysts cheap it's the kind of stock that we like breville multiples i've uh, got that one written down ron thank you so shriro that's <laughs> shm and janison of course jan the two stocks that ron chamgar from timber asset management has shone the light on today and of course on behalf of everyone thank you mate for your time and for your great uh, insights as always no problem thank you now, remember, tamim.com.au is the website to go to if you want to learn more about the two funds that Ron manages um, or alternatively the other products they have, which are a whole range of uh, scope of uh, financial services there. So tamim.com.au. Now, tomorrow we have market timer David Hunt from Profit Hunters uh, on the show to answer your chart and market cycle related questions. Uh, if you've got a question for David, send it in early on the text machine 0480 or email us question at spotty.com.au. And of course, as you know, I'm looking at the next roster. So if there's a broker that you use or an analyst who can handle the heat in the kitchen, we'd love to have them on the show as well. Let them know and let me know. Uh, they've got my number, they know where to find me, but uh, let me know and then I'll call them. Uh, it's also three days only until the early bird uh, special for our Spotty Ed event ends. So go to the website to learn more there. Of course, hunting the next 10 bagger with Tony Lacantro, who will be on the show this coming Wednesday. Until tomorrow, though, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Amazon Prime Day is nearly here. Actually, it's two days, and it's kind of a big deal. It's the most important day.